John Ybaldi with Ybaldi Reports. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Joe Bitts. And just for everybody's sake, both of us are combat Marines from Iraq and Afghanistan. And today we got a special show. We've heard a lot about gun violence over the last couple of weeks. We had some of the mass shootings, and we spoke on gun control, uh, gun issues a couple of weeks ago. And it's the first time we did a podcast strictly on gun issues. Today, we brought in a special guest, a gentleman named John Kennedy. He's the president and owner of John Kennedy Consulting, Inc., and he has is a federal firearms license holder to de- teach his concealed carry classes. He knows the intricacies of gun laws throughout the United States. So we just wanted to bring him in to get a scoop on what are some of the gun rights, what does the Second Amendment say about that, and just get the misconception that the media and political leaders throw out. So first of all, how's it going, Joe? Great, John. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good as always. Always as good. So I'm really interested in talking to John Kennedy and definitely getting his take on what's going on with the Second Amendment and guns in general. So I'm really glad to have a guest. I think this is actually our first time really talking to somebody when it comes to Second Amendment and firearms, somebody who really knows firearms. So it's good. So let's kick this off. So how's it going, John? Going well, thank you. It's a pleasure having you on. Let's make sure I got it right. You are the president and owner of John Kennedy Consulting, Inc., correct? Correct. President and CEO. Okay, perfect. The reason we brought you on, we've heard over the last or seen over the last couple of weeks, some of the mass shootings they've had across the country. And some of our major cities are epidemic of shooting. So you had the president about two weeks ago came out with his executive orders of what he wanted to do with gun rights and the restriction on firearms, whether handguns or long guns, meaning with the assault weapons and semi-automatic rifles. But before we get into that, let's discuss one of the most debated amendments we have, and that is the Second Amendment. In your opinion, and your expertise, what is the Second Amendment? That's a great question, John. And I think it's something that people should look into because it's something that people don't understand a lot. And there's a lot of clarity of speech if we look back at the founding fathers and the things that they wrote about it. Of course, the Second Amendment, uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's pretty cut and dry. A lot of people don't understand and they argue the fact of a well-regulated militia they think is like the National Guard or something like that, which it has nothing to do with the National Guard. James Madison himself, after that statement, clarified what a well-regulated militia was when he said a militia, when properly formed, are in fact the people themselves and include all men capable of bearing arms. Pretty cut and dry. That is very clear about what a militia is. And I think people need to understand that before they can even talk about it, because a lot of people um, are ignorant to the speech in the Second Amendment, and they try and say, that's a well-regulated militia, that's for the National Guard, that's not for the people to be able to deal with. But throughout the writings of the Founding Fathers, you find Time and time again, where they talk about established militia, the militia being the people themselves to help keep a tyrannical and potentially oppressive government from creating problems with the people. Well, you make a good point because some of the the readings I had is I've read a book called Scalia's Court. 
and it has a bunch of constitutional issues. And one of them was the Second Amendment. And what you said on the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, then it's comma, then it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, it's interesting in that one phrase, the right of the people. That's also found in the Fourth Amendment, where it says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects, and against unreasonable searches and seizures. So that's telling me, and as Scalia had mentioned, that's not talking about a group. That's not talking about a collective. It's talking about individual. An individual has the right to keep and bear arms, just like an individual has the right to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects. I think Joe's got a question. You were talking about how when the government likes to overstep, but isn't that kind of something we've seen in this administration, them taking or overstepping their bounds, especially during the pandemic, to just uh, willy-nilly? I really think that after the Second Amendment, after they want to do whatever they can, I think they're going to go after the First Amendment. And Biden said it in one of his speeches during, after signing executive order with controlling the guns is no amendment is absolute and it should not shouldn't people be concerned about that john that's a great observation joe you'll notice the left and i hate to pick on the left but they just give you so many opportunities to do that yeah. they are really good at what they do and they try and put fear into people they work off people's emotions and it's interesting because they try and argue necessity okay and william pitt in a speech to the House of of Commons, was quoted in saying, necessity is the plea for every infringement of human freedom, and it's the argument of tyrants, okay? And people have a tendency, a lot of people, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people have a tendency of wanting government just to take care of everything. And so when they put the fear in the people, then the people think, oh, maybe I can just give up these freedoms or these essential liberties, and then I'll be safer. And I I love the quote of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin didn't have much patience for people a lot of the times. And he said, they who can give up essential liberties to obtain a little safety deserve neither liberty or safety. I think people need to get back on board with what was happening during the revolution with our founding fathers and why they wrote the documents the way they wrote them. And to understand that, for example, it's not law enforcement's job to keep you safe. Constitutionally, it's your responsibility for the safety of your family and your property. So, it's not the responsibility of the police. And that's gone all the way to the Supreme Court. It's the job of the police to the enforce the law. Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. It's their job to enforce the law. And in the event of performing their duties, if they happen to protect you from something, that's a bonus. Yeah. But it's your responsibility as an American citizen to... Well, kind of speaking from maybe some experience and also knowing that in the case of a natural disaster, it's like every, almost in a sense, everyone for themselves, because the police, only a few will stay back and maybe guide or try to direct 
people into a safe direction where a lot of the times a hurricane, flood or whatnot, they're like, sorry, I got to take care of my family. So priorities of the police really come into play when there is turmoil at, at hand. And we can only think that it's going to get, if they have all the guns and we don't, what's going to happen when they're like, my family's more important than you guys. See you later. Well, good point on that, which Joe's just brought up is last year. We saw the riots beginning with the George Floyd killing by the Minneapolis police officer. How many communities and towns and municipalities and major cities, the police were told to stand down? My brother lives in Seattle, and they had the Occupy Zone. Well, there was a business just a block from that. They called dozens of times for the police to come and protect them from the rioters and the, the mob and, and anarchists. The police didn't show up. So you're on your own. A lot of times. And they had riots across the country even before that, like in Baltimore. The police were told the citizens, if you have a firearm, you better protect yourself because we can't. So if the police are there to protect us and they're told to stand down and we've been disarmed, who is really going to be there for us? There's, that's a good point that you make, John. And there's, and let's bring it home even more to the question that to Joe asked. And let's look at, at several years ago at the hurricane that they had in the Gulf area. And once everything started to settle down, they were concerned about people pillaging and looting. So the military went out, or the National Guard, I, I think it was, and, and the police from the area went out, and they started confiscating firearms from people's homes. Oh, that was in Louisiana during Hurricane yes. Katrina. Katrina, that's right. Because of the result of what happened there, they passed the Hurricane Katrina Act, I think they called it. And so that they made it clear that during a natural disaster, they cannot go in and confiscate firearms from law-abiding citizens of the United States. And they could face legal action and they could lose their life because, you know, I mean, you, you can fight back against that because it's illegal to do that. So if I can maybe elaborate, because I remember several times being in Iraq that there was an AK in every hut and that was just the normal civilian or citizen in that country and that they were using it for their protection and stuff like that. So for them just to do the same thing of taking, what was the reason for them to confiscate the weapons during that natural disaster? Did they ever give a reason or was it just like, it's well, a gun grab? I have to go back to, to the, the quote of William Pitt and he talked about necessity. They thought it was necessary and people said, oh yeah, this is necessary. And it's the plea of every tyrant, the, the argument of every tyrant. And whether they inf infringed on people's rights deliberately or not, that can be debated. But it's just every other law. Like when we lost the ability to be able to purchase automatic firearms, why did that happen? If we can lose that, we can lose any part of the Second Amendment. They, they could just, they've opened the door to walk on it. But see, the one question that Joe brought up when Joe Biden, President Biden talked about his executive order on firearms, he said, no amendment is absolute. Now, this is where the media never asked him, what did you mean by that? Please define what you meant by no amendment is absolute. Like in California, they had a lawsuit to the Supreme Court. It was overturned. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals was uh, court case was overturned, stating about having religious services in one's home. And they said, well, if you allow people to go into stores and other areas, how do you limit this? So you see a government coming in and overreach. But the question that kind of ducktails into another matter is what are some of the gun laws? I know each state is different. 
let's just start with handguns. If I want to purchase a handgun, what is the proper procedure or the legal procedure? I know it's different in each state, but what is the basic procedure to get done if I want to purchase a handgun? That's a great question, John. And I think it, it needs to be divided up into a couple of different areas. First of all, if you want to purchase a, a new firearm, okay, I don't care if it's a, a rifle or, or a shotgun or a pistol or a revolver. If you want to, if you want to purchase a new firearm, there's a form you fill out that's called a 4473. It's a federal form by, that's put out by the ATF. And you fill out the 4473. And in, in a lot of states, let's take some of the free states, Utah, for example. <laughs> let's pick Utah. You, they go back. They fax it into to the department. It's called the Bureau of Criminal Identification. It's a division of the Department of Public Safety that monitors and regulates handguns. And they look at that. They punch your name into the computer real quick. If uh, you come up clean on that, just by punching the name in to the different searches that they do, then they fax it right back. Takes about three minutes. Sorry to interrupt. So you fill out the federal firearm form. They send it to whatever state bureaucracy handles the background checks. I know every state calls it something different. What would be some of the reasons that somebody would be turned down? Like, obviously, if you have a criminal background. Yeah, if you come up, if you come up with any felony or if, if you turn up with domestic violence or any misdemeanor of a violent nature, then you would be denied immediately. And those, now, are, those are basically the things that they look at. Could you be denied a firearm if you had a history of mental illness or you abused drugs at any time? That's a good question. Now, if you abuse drugs, unless you were convicted of it, they're not going to know about that. It probably would not be an issue. But if what you, about, I'm sorry, John, uh, what about if they admit it? Like publicly. Now, that's, I don't know anybody that's going to go and buy a gun and then admit to the person they're buying well, the it from. Reason, the, reason I bring, the reason I brought that question up is because President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, he tried to get a handgun and he did get one and it was lost. I think his wife lost it or his brother's wife. I'm not sure of that relationship, but he lost the firearm. But on the federal firearm form, he said, have you ever had a history of mental illness? He said, no. When he did, have you been an abuser of narcotics, illegal drugs? He said no when he did. And then he admitted it on national TV with an interview on one of the news programs that stated, I did have mental illness at some point. And unless you've been convicted of that, there's no way they're going to know. And they can mark down no. And this leads into part two of okay. what we're talking about here, John, and this is a good place to jump in. Now, if, if you live in an individual state, a respective state other than California, and I think there's one or two other states, and somebody has a gun for sale that's used, okay, you, let me, I'll use Utah again, for example. This is a good example. They're close to us, and, and I do the Utah Concealed Carry, and I'm familiar with a lot of their laws, but they had a site that was called KSL.com. And people would post a gun on there that they wanted to sell, and anybody could see that. And if they decided they want that gun, they would they could contact them, make arrangements to meet them somewhere. They would go to that place, wherever it was. They would make the sale transaction, and hopefully the person selling it would get the person's copy of his driver's license and side identification. And he would just, they would sell him the gun, and that was it. There's no background check. And I think this is one of the things that they're trying to close as far as loopholes are concerned that they're talking about. When they say loopholes, because that what they once do? a gun is purchased new, as far as the ATF is concerned, 
it's never registered again to anybody else. Unless you live in a state like California where all transactions of firearms are required to go through an FFL. Now, the federal government can access those records, but they do not require that there's a background check done every time a used gun is sold. If, if there's a gun sold and somebody sells it and it gets sold five or six, eight times, and then all of a sudden gets stolen and ends up in a crime, guess whose door they're going to knock on? The person that bought the gun knew. So you better keep a good record of where that gun went. Because that's like the same thing we did with you. Remember, I gave you a firearm that my dad had, and we had we went through the process of changing the registration from him to you to make sure it was done legally. Right. And that and was that, in the state of California. That yeah. was in the state of California. Right. And that's the way we had to do it. We, with Now, in the state of California also, they have what they call an intrafamilial transfer form where you can do father-to-son sales and just fill out a form. And, and I think, believe that's what we did for you. Correct. And, and then we sent that form in, and then it was registered to you in the state of California. Now, is, is that what they consider a ghost sale? No. Ghost guns basically is what they're talking about. When they talk about ghost guns is if I ordered an 80% lower from whoever and they can just mail it right to me personally because it's not a completed firearm. It's only 80%. And the law allows for me to, I, I believe, build one gun a year for myself that's not registered. It doesn't have any kind of number on it or anything. And what I can do is I can go on a site like Lone Wolf, for example. They have all kinds of parts for Glocks and whatnot, and I can get an 80% lower in, and then I can build that up myself and have that as a gun. Joe, you had a comment? I do. Is a serial number, does that really matter when it comes to the like the sell of a gun? I mean, I can maybe machine a lower receiver and that's all I really need to do to get everything started. And it doesn't have a serial number or I can make the serial number. And you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to machine a gun all, all on your own. Now, the thing about making your own firearm is that you, I believe that you're restricted to making one a year. And I I might be wrong on that, but also some of the other restrictions are one, you can never sell it and it cannot be passed down to any family members. When you die, it has to be destroyed. There is an exception. And in, for example, in the state of California, if they passed a law here that if you're going to build a firearm yourself, you have to um, apply to the state and get a serial number for it. And when you build it, you have to put that serial number on it. They won't let you do that here in California anymore, which is contrary to federal regulation. Now, one of the questions that came up, and I think President Biden was was wrong on, and I just want to get your verification, is do they do uh, background checks at gun shows? Because he said that they don't do background checks at gun shows. And that's a good question. I don't know how it works in free states, but in the state of California, yes. If you are at a gun show and you purchase a firearm, anything that has a serial number on it has to be sold through an FFL. And the FFL here in this state takes that gun with him and holds it for 10 days once they've run the dealer record of sale. They call it a DROS form, dealer record of sale. And then after that 10 days, the person can come and pick up the firearm. And when you print off the form after the 10 days is over, it shows you whether that person is approved or whether they've been denied. So, so you can't just go to a gun show in the state of California and buy a gun. So basically what you're saying that each state is different, regardless of what the federal government does, each state has its own handling on gun shows, correct? 
Yes. Now, the other question, because I know we're getting down on time, I just want to make sure we get this this out. And this is a big one. What's the difference? Because you keep hearing assault weapons. That's all we keep hearing is assault weapons. What's the difference between an assault weapon and a semi-automatic weapon? I'm pulling out of my pocket one of my assault weapons, okay? Okay. And, and, and I know you're on video with me, so I'm going to show you this assault weapon yep. right here, okay? Yeah, that's my, my multi-tool, and it has a knife in it. Now, again, I have to go back to the argument of people that are trying to implement these laws, and I have to tell you that the, they've planted in the hearts of the people. Remember, it's either fear or necessity, and, and they've associated the word weapon with automatic or semi-automatic firearms, okay? Anything can be a weapon, okay? I can take this pen and I can put your eye out faster than you can pull a gun out of your pocket, okay? And this pen can be a weapon. Anything can be a weapon, okay? So when you're speaking to a person that is an advocate of the Second Amendment and who is concerned about people's gun rights, you don't say assault weapon because anything can be assault weapon. And that's the fear that the left has planted in the hearts of people that are frustrated with the things that are going on. Now, as far as assault rifles, assault weapons, anything can be an assault weapon, but with an AR-15 platform, uh, a lot of people, and I've actually heard this, it stands for assault rifle 15. That's not true. The AR stands for Armalite Rifle, which is the company that developed the rifle. But with semi-automatic or automatic rifles, this is the vehicle that they're trying to use to take away more of your rights. As far as attacks on schools and different places like that, I don't care what you do. It's never going to stop. Okay. And you can look over in Europe where you've had, where you have a lot of terrorist activities where they blow things up. They run people over with cars. They attack them with knives. Somebody's always going to find some kind of medium to use to assault other people. Now, can an individual, like let's say myself, can I buy an automatic weapon or do you need a special permit to own an automatic weapon? The one that gets you pull the trigger and rounds keep going out just like I had in the military. Yes. To both questions. Okay. You can buy one and yes, you do need to have a class three firearm. You have to have a special permit here in the state of California. It is not allowed. You cannot buy one here. In the state of Utah, I think the permit is $300 and it has to be registered with the, the ATF and the Department of Justice. Okay. So they know you have it. Okay? okay, That was all part of the initial ban when it came to being able to acquire fully automatic firearms. Well, the reason I bring up those questions is because both Joe and myself have been in the military and we have semi-automatic rifles and they have uh, three round burst on our m16s the selector switch yeah m4 but i think the public who's never been in the military probably never been around semi-automatic weapons they watch the movies and joe and i know and especially you being a, a firearm expert the automatic weapons that they see show you in the movies they don't work like that no they never yeah. run out of ammo it's just the <laughs> things that they do they don't do that in 
real life. Yeah, but also the use of the automatic weapon is to provide cover, meaning you're firing at one target to make sure that their heads are down so that the people underneath can move. A lot of the language that you guys use comes with training. And I am a big advocate for training. I, I don't feel like people should be required to go through training to be able to have guns and whatnot. But as far as carrying them concealed for personal protection on the street, I've seen way too much stuff in the years that I've been teaching and facilitating concealed carry permits. And I'm a big advocate. I used to give people the benefit of a doubt, but I don't anymore because there's a lot of ignorant people out there that don't know how to handle a gun properly. And I think that's very important. And so did George Washington probably has more comments about the citizens being armed than anybody else. And he argued that they should be trained. I'm an advocate of the Second Amendment. When people say I want to get a a firearm to protect myself, I always, for the home, I always ask them, okay, okay, time out. Why did you want a handgun if you just want it for home protection? I always tell them for home protection, get a shotgun. It's very easy to use. You don't need much training. But if you get a concealed carry permit, I've been to a couple firearm courses with you. I believe you should be trained on how to use your firearm effectively. Know how to take it apart. Know the immediate action drill. What's going on with your handgun? You should know what the potential of that firearm is, too. Handguns are ballistically deficient by nature. They just are. But we carry them because they're convenient. Rifle, again, and and it's way down on the scale. The rifle is a lot higher on the scale. It's up there with the shotgun. The shotgun has great stopping potential, and it's a great firearm for home defense. Now, I know we're really pressed on time here. The question is, for somebody who's an advocate of the Second Amendment, if you had to say something to President Biden or those who who advocate the, the banning of firearms, what would your gun control policy be? If you were the president of the United States or a member of Congress, what would you advocate for a type of gun control? That's a tough question, John. That's like talking to, to an orange farmer about how to grow good apples. If you talk to gun control advocates about firearms and reasonable legal action to take, it, it's it, well, because- you're, you're speaking, you're, you're, it's like you're talking to deaf ears. They're well, not but see, hear. that's why the Supreme Court had said, even Scalia has said, the Second Amendment is for the people the right to bear arms, but there are reasonable gun control measures. And I think most people believe in a background check. The problem with that is we've seen it down, I think a year or two ago in Texas, and then at that church shooting in the Carolinas, each time the individual who perpetrated that act was able to get a legal firearm because something wasn't put into the background check process. And and you said it right there. We have the laws in place and it's a good structure, the things that they do currently. It's just that sometimes there's flaws in implementation. The one in Texas, for example, they failed to record the issues that, that were going on and it, it went completely unchecked. And the one the Texas was the I believe right, he was a dishonorably discharged Air Force individual. The Air Force didn't put that he was dishonorably discharged into the system. And then when they went back and looked, they found out the military only does it about like maybe thirty-five to forty percent of the time. So if you don't put it into the system, now the other thing that it, that I would advocate and this is the last point, because I know Joe's giving me that high sign on time, is mental illness. Like the situation in Parkland, the FBI failed, the state police failed, 
the local law enforcement failed the fan, but the school failed. The teachers were told by the administrators, don't let this person on. If he comes on campus, he's not allowed to have a backpack because he's been suspended dozens and dozens of times. But because of the Obama administration policy, didn't want to infect kids into the criminal justice system. They allowed this child to meander through school. And when law enforcement went over to his house, I think 80 times, and a lot of it was through violent acts and some other things that should have gotten him arrested, it never happened. A lot of these problems started home too. Parents know about the problems their kids are having and and they don't do anything about it. But then a lot of things is our mental health system is lacking. We had a person in my church, I know we're the same church, but in the church, he had severe mental health and we tried to get him committed, but he says he hasn't done anything yet. There's nothing we can do. I I would encourage, you know, as a final uh, note that for people, if they want to get involved first, they need to get familiar with the amendments and what they're about and, and understand what we, the people are, and then get involved be those people. No, I would agree with you. So I do want to talk a little bit about touch on John's mental health for backgrounds and stuff like that is that I don't necessarily agree with that. I do believe someone's mental capacity. Yes. And owning a firearm is required, but I know a lot of military guys that come back from war and they have PTSD. Now PTSD can be considered a mental health disorder. And then you're eliminating a lot of people that know how to use guns, that know how they're supposed to be used and actually defending themselves in that way. And then you're going to take those guns away from them. I, I, I don't really see there has to be like a spectrum of some sort in order to evaluate this person should have guns, but this person shouldn't. Yeah, you're trying to argue a, a liberal point and there's no logic to li- liberal arguments like that. There is just, there's just no logic. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, that... they're going to introduce the fear aspect and the potential of what could happen or what couldn't happen. They're going to bring up funky analogies. That, that's it, plain and simple. You've answered your own question. These are people that are trained they, they know how to use firearms responsibly. And if it's just a case of PTSD, there's, there's probably never going to be an issue. If there's other underlying issues, then well, that's the problem I have is One of the things that President Biden was talking about was family and friends can report the person they're most concerned about to law enforcement and they can come over and take their weapons away. Now, the reason I have a problem with that Piss someone off. Well, if somebody can turn me in and they come over without any due process, and I'm a big proponent of due process, you're innocent till proven guilty, not you're guilty till you prove yourself innocent. I agree. So let's also touch base on that, that they want to try to, if they can't get the guns, they want to try to regulate ammo. And I believe I heard something where you need a background check to get ammo, or even if you need a, even if you need a background check to get a gun, not only are they going to go into your background, but they're going to go into your spouse or your family's background and your friend's background. And if any of those people show any signs of them or have any problems or flags that kind of trigger the system, guess what? You're not going to get a gun because your buddy that you talk to like every once in a while robbed a bank 10 years ago. Well, I think that there's more speculation on that part than actual fact. But here in the state of California, an individual is required to get a background check when he purchases ammo. Now they have a, a data bank now. So once you've done the background check, you're in the system and 
if you go to purchase it, they punch in the system and then it's a lot shorter process. But yeah, they do require it. And with the change of in, into the Harris administration here now, These were things that they're probably going to try and push out of California down to the rest of the United States. With that, people have pretty much panicked and they've bought up everything. You can't buy ammunition. Two months ago, uh, a friend of mine purchased some ammunition for me up in Idaho for a class that I needed to take. And it was uh, $35 a box for 20 rounds. Last weekend, I was down at at Front Sight, Nevada, doing another training course on rifle marksmanship. And I had stopped a couple of weeks previous when I was down there at a handgun course, and I purchased my ammunition at the bunker for this class, $69 a box for 20 rounds. And I needed a, like 160 rounds for the class. So people are buying it up like crazy. And whether or not they've intentionally tried to keep ammo out of people's hands, it's happened because everybody's gone out and purchased everything there is. So reloads are not looking that bad right now, are they? One, one Winchester said that it's probably going to be three or four months before it starts getting back to normal. But a couple of the other suppliers have said that it's going to take two years to recover. Now, is that because of COVID or is that just because of the demand or is it just like the perfect storm of every time a politician exactly. opens their mouth about gun control, everything goes Joe, I think it's all of the above that you mentioned. I think COVID has affected the production, the output, but the other two scenarios also come into play. I think people have just purchased everything because of the administration and the price has shot up because of all three of them. Well, it's interesting. We interviewed a gentleman out of New York and he owns a company that builds safes for residential and commercial properties and also for the military. So a lot of people come up to him and ask him, what weapons should I get for protection and everything? And he said the same thing that I had said, mm-hmm. but he goes, there's more people, more ammo is being shipped to the liberal states and more handguns are being purchased out of the liberal states and more background checks are being conducted because people saw what happened last year and they realized we're on our own. Yeah, the I think police will year, not be there. I think last year they had, I, I can't, I, the stat, stats came out and I don't know exactly what the number was, but there were like 10 million first time gun owner background checks done. Well, because they saw what happened. You have this defund the police movement. Police aren't doing proactive policing. And when there's a riot, you're on your own. Yeah. So if you're not armed, sit down and, and pray. And it was 10 million new applications. No, that, that's, that's, that's there were a lot more applications than that, but it was no, no, 10 that, just bought gun for the first time. That's fact. That was released by the FBI. They said that this is record number of mm-hmm. first time gun ownership. And I think a, a vast majority of them were women were going out, getting handgun training and getting a, a handgun for themselves. Yeah, we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot. We've had people contact us too and talk to us about training because we're not intimidating. We're not a in your face type training program and people are comfortable with the way that we train. And so we get a lot of people that come to us that don't know anything about guns. And there's been a lot of that activity. No, that's, no, that's eases us into this point is how can people find you? 
I know you live in the people. My website is johnkennedyconsulting.com. It's my website. And we have firearms training on there. We're in the process of changing our website right now. So it's a little bare bones right now during the change. But there's a contact him for, a contact page there and there's phone number that they can call. And, and they the email address is available there as well at johnkennedyconsulting.com. Okay, so johnkennedyconsulting.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah, J-O-N. Yeah, not the good way of spelling it like mine, J-O-H-N. That's J-O-N. Son of an Italian immigrant. They didn't realize that you really don't need the A. And after hearing this, I'm pretty sure our listeners will have a lot of questions and also maybe they can reflect on the question John asked you about being the Biden administration. What would they like to see when it comes to the Second Amendment and how we should maybe structure laws or rules about that, if any? And how can you do that, John? You can find us and put those questions to us at ubaldireports at gmail.com. That's ubaldireports at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, type in Ubaldi Reports. Or if you go to Facebook, there's Ubaldi Reports Group, and you could uh, pose the question there. Also, just for our listeners' sake, we're getting ready and we're started. We're just trying to get the bugs out of it. We're live streaming our podcast, not this one, but we're getting ready to tweak some of the mistakes that we made and live stream our podcast. But Joe, tell them one other thing that we're doing. So we're working on uh, Patreon. We're almost finished and we can start getting that out to some people here. And basically what it is, we're going to offer people an extra show, which is going to be uncensored and very opinionated. And it's going to be called Ubaldi Reports Declassified, where John and I just really get into it and maybe even go at each other a little bit about what's going on in the current administration and the country as we see it unfolding right before our very eyes. With that, everybody have a great day and keep on listening. Keep listening to Ubaldi Reports, and we'd like to thank John Kennedy for coming on this show. Thank you, John.